0: What's up, and welcome back to the Sportsball.com podcast. I'm your host, Jackson Williams, and it has been a couple weeks, ladies and gentlemen, so uh, sorry about that, but I was taking a little break after I got out of school into the summer, and uh, a lot has happened in those last two weeks, so let us just jump right in, shall we, to episode number 20, the big 2-0. All right, so in these last two weeks, probably the most important thing that has happened happened in the NBA. Free agency started. And with that came the biggest move of probably the last two years, maybe the last four years, depending who you ask. That move was that LeBron James concluded his time as a Cleveland Cavalier likely forever. Unless he goes back and like is a GM for the team and decides to coach or is an owner. But it looks like his playing days in Cleveland are over forever. LeBron James, after spending his last four years in the middle of Ohio and bringing a championship to Cleveland for the first time in over 50 years, decided to take his talents as- elsewhere and leave for the second time in his career. The signs were there all season, he appeared frustrated, disinterested, and he traded his, his whole veteran team in mid-season in favor of a younger team that was just as bad, if not worse, in some areas. When the season ended, it seemed like it was universally understood that he was going to leave, um, but the question was still there as to whether or whether he would, or if he would re-sign, or if he would do a one and one opt into his contract, and just, in general, where would he end up? There were several teams that were good fits, and I think his best fit for immediate contention in the, for an NBA championship was Philadelphia. Um, he would have been the elder statesman on a young team that exploded to end the season last year. He would have been paired with Ben Simmons, who's a, a fellow Clutch sports client, and Joel Embiid. I think that would have been hands down the best trio in the East. Hands down. Um... There were other options too. He could have joined the Houston Rockets um, to get the best chance of knocking off the Golden State Warriors. I don't think they would have, because that would have likely meant that they would have had to gut their entire bench. Um, <laughs> but that would have meant they would have had a big three of James Harden, Chris Paul, and LeBron James, who are three of the best distribu- distributors in basketball. Um, which would make that a very, how do I say this, a, a very popular destination for veterans on minimum deals trying to ring chase for ring-chasing veterans who can shoot. I think that's probably the best way to say it. Then there were other teams that were capable, too, or seemed like they were on the table, like Boston, the Knicks, the Spurs, even the Warriors, kind of, the Clippers. But none of these teams were good enough. Ultimately, he decided to take his talents to Hollywood, signing a four-year deal with the Los Angeles Lakers. That four-year deal was worth $154 million, $154 million, which is his longest and largest contract since initially joining the Miami Heat in 2010 when he left the first time. He immediately becomes the Lakers' best player, obviously. I think he's still the best player in the league, um, from an unbiased standpoint, (laughs) at least. um, And right when he signed, it looked as if the team was going to be looking to add more big-name players like maybe Paul George. But then he spurned them and re-upped an OKC for four years, and we'll get into that later because... What the Lakers did instead of signing Paul George was probably even more interesting than signing him. So what they did was they followed up the LeBron James signing, which is a huge deal, probably the biggest signing of the offseason, by signing Lance Stevenson to a one-year deal worth $4.5 million. That's right, Lance Stevenson, his longtime playoff enemy, his nemesis, the guy who blew in his fucking ear, to a $4.5 million deal for one year. They then signed JaVale McGee to a one-year veteran vet minimum deal, And then they signed Rajon Rondo to a one-year, $9 million deal. And yes, you heard me correctly. The Los Angeles Lakers, proud owners of the second-worst three-point percentage in the entire NBA last season, they went out and signed three non-shooters to play alongside LeBron. They quite literally are going outside the blueprint that LeBron has laid out for his own success. That blueprint, in case you weren't aware, is to get a ton of shooters, put them behind the arc, and space the floor, floor for LeBron to drive to the basket and either dunk it or find an open shooter who can spot up from the outside. And while they have those guys who none of them can shoot, I guess the goal was he wanted playmakers around him because he doesn't want to play on ball as much, um, which is hilarious to me because he, I think he said that every offseason for the last like, six years. Um, but it appears that they are still very much in the market for another big name player, Kawhi Leonard, who I talked about in the last episode of the podcast about three weeks ago. He's a two-time defensive player of the year, a 40% shooter from three. But in general, their lack of the team's lack of shooting from three and failure to address that issue, now that LeBron James is in the fold, is puzzling to say the least. I'm the logic behind that, the official statements and leaks from the Lakers say that LeBron has approved of all of these moves. The signing Rajon Rondo, Jabelle McGee, and Lance Stevenson. And then he even recruited Lance Stevenson, which is astonishing to me. But apparently the, the leaks and statements have been saying that the big goal of the Lakers was to surround LeBron James with playmakers who can all create their own shots, as well as letting LeBron, LeBron play off the ball more. And I don't know, how much are we supposed to believe that? Rondo's a playmaker, and there's no doubt about that. He can, he's one of the best passers the game's ever seen. But his ability to create his own shot is not the same as it was in his prime. In fact, i go so far as to say it non-existent not at this point. Um, Lance Stevenson, he can create his own shot, but uh, it doesn't go in a whole lot. I think he shot something like in the low 30s from three last year. So uh, there's that. He's kind of enigmatic. And JaVale McGee absolutely 100% cannot create his own shots. And this is coming from someone who has watched him play for the last two years and enjoyed his style of play. But here's what he is. He's a rim runner. He's going to dunk. He's going to catch lobs. He's going to block a couple shots. That's it. That's kind of all that he does. So he's not really a playmaker. And Rondo is a playmaker, but he can't shoot. Lance Stevenson can create his own shot, but that shot doesn't hit. So I don't really know what they're doing. But after all of these free agent acquisitions, this is a very strange roster. They have no one, not a single player, who shoots above 40% from three, including two point guards who can't shoot in Lonzo Ball and Rajon Rondo. Their starting center is JaVale McGee after they let Julius Randle walk, and they have Lance Stevenson. What LeBron did is he essentially built a younger version of last year's Cleveland Cavaliers with less three-point shooting. That, this kind of roster construction is fine and dandy in the East, and it'll help you get a top seed because you have LeBron, and that's simply all you need. And th- that conference is just much less talented to begin with. But he's in the West now. The West is a whole new animal. You have to compete night in and night out. There are no real rest times. You don't have a real game you can take off, or a play you can sit out, or just a quarter you can just completely check out unless you're up by 20. I don't think the way this roster is currently constructed will be a top four seed in the West, even with the addition of LeBron James. I just don't think they're talented enough. I think they're too inexperienced. I think the guys they got are good enough shooters. And the West has gotten better this offseason. <laughs> but the thing, the thing is with all, these, with all these acquisitions, except for LeBron James, is that there are all one-year deals. And I think this means that LeBron James knows he cannot realistically win a championship this year going against the competition in the West. He's committing to an actual process, something that he has not been a part of since his first stint in Cleveland. This also points to the Lakers planning on being much more active in free agency next year, but going back to the process thing, his first time in Cleveland, it was basically just one giant process to try to get him some players he could win with, and that never happened. He made it to the finals once, but that's because he carried his team the entire way. He went to Miami. That was four straight years of just contention, 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 contention. There were no off-seasons, he was just immediately finals contending right there he went back to cleveland very same situation he traded young guys for assets like kevin love and they were just an old team every single year but they were still in the finals now he's in the west and he's committing to a process where he's going to help these young players like brandon ingram lonzo ball julius randall or not just julius randall just left but josh hart kyle Kuzmi, he's going to try to help them all grow and help them become an elite team in the west so he can maybe ride up into the sunset as he as a veteran on a A veteran on a successful team in like four years once the Warriors kind of burn out. But yeah, that's that's what I mean by committing to a process. But like I just said, this whole thing with the one-year deals points to the Lakers planning on being much more active in free agency next season. Next year, just off the top of my head, I can name three pretty high-impact players that are going to be free agents. Jimmy Butler is going to be a free agent. He reportedly has no interest in staying Minnesota long-term because he doesn't get along too well with Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins. So that's one. Kawhi Leonard will be an unrestricted free agent if his situation remains the way it currently is. And it's very likely he could end up in Los Angeles, though that being said, probably with the Clippers instead of the Lakers. And Clay Thompson could be on the market, but we'll get to that in a second. Let's go back to Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler is actually a sneaky good fit for LeBron James in the late stages of of his career. Um... He plays a lot like Dwayne Wade, maybe with a little less explosiveness, but what he lacks in explosiveness, he makes up for in his shooting ability. Um, He's a playmaker, and I think that would actually fit quite nicely with LeBron if he truly wants to play off-ball, which hasn't yet to be seen. He's never once actually committed to playing off-ball in his career. Um, Kawhi Leonard, a very intriguing option because he's like the third or fourth best player in the league when he's healthy, maybe second. Uh, Not second, third or fourth, because KD's hands down number two. But as LeBron, LeBron ages and his athleticism fades, he will wind up moving to play the four, allowing Kawhi to take over as a small forward, which is his natural position. They'd be a good fit together because Kawhi is a better defense, defensive player and shooter than LeBron, and LeBron is a better finisher and distributor than Leonard. That's like two puzzle pieces that just go right together, the last two pieces of a giant puzzle. The problem, though, is that Kawhi no longer appears to be in, to favor playing with the Lakers, even though I said last time he wants to play in L.A., Apparently, it's just the city that matters. And if he's going to play in L.A., he's rumored to prefer the Clippers at this point because he doesn't want to be overshadowed by LeBron. He just wants to be the top dog of his own team. Um, Sorry about all the sniffling, by the way. I guess I'm sick. I had no idea until I actually started recording this fucking podcast. Um, It is what it is. The show goes on. Um, But the guy I said we'd get to in a second is Clay Thompson. That's the name everyone's been floating around, and I can't seem to understand why. Clay has spent every second of his professional career with the Golden State Warriors. He's the second greatest shooter that this league has ever seen. He is incredibly easygoing and is widely seen as the perfect teammate. He could fit with anybody on any team. That all being said, though, I don't see him leaving the Warriors. He has publicly said that he wants to remain in the Bay Area with the Warriors. He has publicly said that he will take a discount to do so. So the whole notion that he wants all the money instead of winning and leaving a team in which he's won like four championships in the last five years is ridiculous. I think if you think if you think this is honestly going to happen, I think you're just praying. You're just hoping, instead of using the logical part of your brain, that would let you know that there's no way this is actually happening. Clay Thompson is a staple of this team, and the ownership has gone out and said that, that they are willing to pay a massive luxury tax bonus um, to keep this whole thing together. And Clay Thompson is a part of the core. They're not going to break up the Splash Brothers. That's the two, two biggest pieces in this team that they probably care about the most. Um, but I don't, remember, I don't know if you remember this, but I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast there was another player who was supposed to sign with the Lakers but spurned them at the last second. That player was supposed to be a lock to come to the Lakers, and that player was Paul George. He instead opted to stay in Oklahoma City with Russell Westbrook. He signed a four-year deal, worth $137 million. He chose to stay with the one, <laughs> sorry, he chose to stay with one triple double chasing stat padding point guard instead of leaving to play second fiddle to a different stat padding triple double chasing point guard. Because LeBron James is not really a small forward. He's, he controls the ball 90% of the time. He's a point forward. Um, the only real difference between the two situations here is that with the Oklahoma City Thunder, He's much more likely to get knocked out in the first round and Russell Westbrook will shoulder that blame. Whereas in the Lakers, when he gets knocked out in the first round, it will be everyone but LeBron James's fault. So the blame will fall mostly on Paul George's shoulders. So that being said, I don't really blame PG for choosing to stay with Westbrook. I think it's funny and maybe kind of a bad business decision if he actually wants to win a championship, but I respect it. You don't want to play second fiddle to a guy who will make you the folks of the blame. Russell Westbrook will take the, the, <laughs> the brute of all that, and I respect him for that. It's the one thing I really respect him for, is the fact that he will shoulder the blame um, instead of LeBron James, who just deflects, deflects, deflects. Um, that being said, though, I'm not sure those were the only two options for him. I think there were better fits for him outside of OKC. The number one best fit, Philadelphia, where he could have been the number one option on offense and played alongside a much better overall point guard in Ben Simmons, who's a much better passer and rebounder, and he's 6'10". And then one of the best defensive players in the league and a true center in Joel Embiid. I think that would have put the Celtics in the same conversation, if not above, for the Celtics in the East next year. They would have been that good. Um, he would have been a perfect fit in my mind. But anyways, he chose to stay with the Thunder after spending last year with him and losing in the first round. I was absolutely shocked when he signed for a couple reasons. And perhaps none were more prominent than this. He produced a three-part documentary to air on ESPN to show his whole free agency process. And I figured that meant he was leaving the Thunder, because why would you make a documentary to be like, oh, I'm not going anywhere, and if you're going to stay, the whole documentary is really a waste of time. Another reason this was pretty shocking to me was that he signed up to play four more years in the middle of Oklahoma with Russell Westbrook, who has been proven to make his superstar teammates worse to this point in his career. And I've talked about this like seven times in 20 episodes. So I won't go too far into it. And then lastly, he didn't even give the Lakers a meeting to try and pitch him. The cons- And this is shocking because the consensus around the league was that he was heading to the Lakers. and This was basically a done deal. And that this was a consensus for nearly a year. Um, he was apparently hurt that they didn't trade for him last year when he wanted to be going to Los Angeles. Um, so he chose to stay with the team that gambled to get him. And the Lakers, if they were smart, if they want Kawhi, they should probably make this deal to get him right now, because they're risking that same thing. If he goes to another team, he's gonna fall in love there and maybe resign. In that case, instead of losing just a really solid player who could be an all-star, they're losing out on an MVP candidate because they feel comfortable where they are right now. Um, And that's really all um, all I wanted to say about the Lakers for right now. Um, I'd like to move into my next topic, um, which I will do in one second. Alright, and that next topic I wanted to get into had to do with the Warriors, but let me start with this. Before I get into the next biggest news of free agency, I wanted to start by saying this. Since when have we become afraid of competition? From the day that we are born to the day that we die, we hear countless anecdotes about how hard the world is on people. And how in order to be successful, you need to work hard in doing so. And you'll have a chance to overcome seemingly impossible odds. Overcome all this adversity. The anecdote that I have heard most often, and I bet you have heard most often, is that Earth is a dog-eat-dog world. And I assume that it's the same anecdote that you have all heard as well. Because it's a fairly common one. When it comes to sports, we we deal with stacked odds. Intense competition and upsets all the time. Yet recently with the NBA, the last decade or so, It seems as if fans can't stand when the odds are stacked up in favor or stacked up against a certain player. That certain player that the odds are stacked against is LeBron James. The odds were already stacked against him coming into this year regardless of where he signed. But he signed with the Lakers, who probably have the worst chance of winning of any of the possible teams he could have played for. People seem to have a misconception That LeBron has never had the deck stacked in his favor. Almost omitting the four years he spent in Miami. So being that the LeBron James fan base has forgotten all of this, it makes all the more sense that they have lost their collective mind over the largest acquisition of the offseason, at least in my opinion. Maybe LeBron James was the biggest offseason acquisition for the Lakers. But in my opinion, this right here is the biggest. That acquisition came from the Golden State Warriors, who went out and signed DeMarcus Cousins for $5.3 million, a.k.a. their mid-level exception. That's right. You heard me correctly. DeMarcus Cousins. You may have heard of him as DeMarcus Cousins. Maybe you've heard of him as Boogie Cousins. Regardless, he signed a one-year deal to play for the Golden State Warriors, For those of you unfamiliar with his work, maybe you've never heard of him, he's a four-time All-Star, a two-time All-NBA player, and is hands down the best big man in the league when he's healthy. So, I bet you're wondering to yourself, why was a player of this caliber available on a one-year deal? Well, just before the All-Star game last season, he tore his Achilles tendon, which is an injury that is absolutely devastating to any athlete, but particularly for NBA players. So being that he's a big man who's pretty dynamic, the injury could hamper the player that he is. That scared off a bunch of teams. In fact, it scared off all the teams, as nobody besides the Warriors offered him a significant deal worthy of him signing. So, because he was unhappy with all of that, he called the Warriors. That's right. The Warriors didn't go out and recruit him. He signed the Warriors. He taught, called Draymond Green, Bob Myers, Steve Kerr, Steph Curry, KD, Clay. He called them. He called the Warriors. The Pelicans, in all fairness, they did offer him a two-year, 40-ish million dollar deal before the season ended. So he did get that offer. But he rejected that because he felt he deserved more, which, to be fair, I think he did. Um, and in the offseason, no other team made an offer. Off-season, <laughs> the free agency market was not, 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 not all that rich. So he's betting on himself here. The Warriors were a logical fit, just from a recovery standpoint, <laughs> because he might not be able to play until midway through the season. And that is not a gamble that most teams would be willing to take, especially if they would get him on a one-year deal. What's the point in paying him money if he's only going to play half the season? So most teams just simply wouldn't, wouldn't take that risk. On the other hand, the Warriors are just fine making that gamble. The Warriors have young guys like Jordan Bell and Damian Jones, who could get big minutes in that first half, let him develop. And then they just also re-signed Kevon Looney for a one-year deal for even more depth they can afford to let Boogie rest for as long as he needs in order to get to as close as 100% as he could possibly be. He might not even need to play until, like, April or May. He, he All he has to do is be on the playoff roster and then he can play. If he's 100% and he hasn't played at all until the playoffs, it doesn't matter. He's still the best big man in the league. But anyways, I got off track. The big story here is that the Warriors, who were title favorites already, went out and signed Boogie Cousins, who averaged, or to this point in his career, he's averaged 21.5 points per game, 11 rebounds, 3.2 assists on 46% shooting and 33.8% shooting from deep. He's been an all-star four straight times, and he's made two All-NBA teams. And now while you've probably seen people get mad about this on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and even national TV about how unfair it is, That the Warriors have all this talent and that the league is unfair and that they're not going to watch. You, who are a much smarter person, a much smarter sports fan than the normal one, simply because you were listening to this podcast, need to understand this. The Golden State Warriors are simply taking advantage of the idiocy across the entire NBA. They drafted Stephen Curry, six other teams could have picked him before the Warriors did. I mean, the Minnesota Timberwolves drafted two different point guards in the same round before Steph was drafted. Klay Thompson fell, slipped in the draft, and the Warriors took advantage. Draymond Green fell to the second round. Then they took advantage of Kevin Durant's free agency to entice him away from Oklahoma City with a fun playstyle that would allow him to maximize his potential and win a title in the process. Just think... With Kevin Durant, if the OKC Thunder actually re-signed James Harden instead of letting him go over pocket change for the owner before maxing out that same owner's credit card for Paul George, or as I like to call him, Kirkland brand Kevin fucking Durant and Carmelo Anthony, then they probably would have kept Kevin Durant, James Harden, Russell Westbrook, three MVPs, and had several championships. And then the fact that no one took advantage, I mean, (laughs) then they, after Kevin Durant, They then took advantage of the fact that no other teams wanted to take a gamble on Boogie Cousins because of his injury. You can't really be mad at the Warriors. Be mad at your own general managers and front offices for being morons. Think about this when you're thinking about how unfair it is that the Warriors got Boogie. He just signed a one-year deal worth $5.3 million. 5.3. Here are players that signed in the same offseason, this offseason, making more money on one year deals. Rajon Rondo signed a one year deal with $9 million. Trevor Ariza signed a one year deal with $15 million. Tyreek Evans signed a $1 million deal, dollar deal with 12 or one year deal worth $12 million. Cantebious Caldwell-Pope signed a one year deal worth $12 million. <clears throat> Mario Hazonia signed a one year deal worth $6.5 million. And there are countless other contracts too. Just think, Boogie Cousins, an all-NBA player, signed for less than all of those players and will be on a better team, all because your general managers can't get their fucking priorities straight. The Warriors are just taking advantage of the mass idiocy around the entire league. It is not their job to make shit more competitive for everybody else, to make sure that LeBron James has a chance to compete. Their job is to get better, to win, and to win for as long as possible. Fans and media members are just mad that LeBron James doesn't have a chance, that he doesn't have the deck stacked in his favor for once. Just think about this. Just last week, before Boogie signed, people were clamoring about the fact that LeBron James could play alongside, alongside Paul George, or Kawhi Leonard, an MVP candidate, and Paul George, an excellent all-star player, and Boogie Cousins. That same all-NBA player the Warriors just got. That's four all-stars, two MVP candidates on the same team, just like the Warriors. All these people, I mean, no one cared about deck sacking men. They're all celebrating it, excited. People who are mad about this, they just care because their greatest of all time player can't overcome these overwhelming odds that he can't win without a super team at this point, and that his argument to be the real greatest of all time is hampered because he's failed at his job. His job is to win titles at this point, not to make it there, to fucking win. People justify him losing in saying that, oh, he played against super teams, or, oh, making nine finals and eight straight and only winning three of those is is more impressive than going six for six like michael jordan did stop it stop whining that your delusion about him being the greatest player ever greatest player of all time isn't actually based in fact let's face it on the biggest stage he has failed six different times and he will he'll never make it back he moved to the west It's not happening. He will never make it back to the finals, never make it back to that biggest stage again, and he will never win again. He is done in the grand scheme of things. He's riding off into the sunset with the Lakers. And on top of all that, he builds his own teams. He is the worst GM probably of all time. He builds himself some of the worst teams to surround himself with in order to make sure that he can stat pad and deflect all of the blame onto his teammates. Just think, last offseason, he built his own team. He went out and signed his best friend, Dwayne Wade. He orchestrated a trade that got Kyrie Irving to Boston and instead got Isaiah Thomas, Jay Crowder, uh, who was the draft pick. Then, at the offseason, he shipped all of those guys and more out of there in return for Larry Nance Jr., Jordan Clarkson, Rodney Hood, and George Hill, who did absolutely fucking nothing significant until the end of the season? Get the fuck out of here, Jesus. He builds his teams simply so he can put up great numbers, carry the team, stat pad, and then when it's all said and done, and he gets his ass kicked in the finals like he does every single year, he can't shoulder the blame. Because he puts up those numbers, but the reason he puts up those numbers is because he builds his own team. It doesn't make sense. I think I said this last time on the podcast, but it's been like three weeks. I'll repeat it again. This whole argument that he's the goat is absurd. Imagine signing up to run a marathon nine times and you finish it three times, and then your best friend signs up to run it six times and completes it six times. And then you walk up to him and you're like, actually, I'm better than you because I signed up to do this more. But he's like, but I signed up to do it less and still want it less or still want it more. How does that make sense? How does that logically click in your head? The argument that he's a goat right now is basically just based on the fact that he's made it a bunch of times and that his numbers are better. His numbers are better because he's stat pads and his time's making it there is because the East is fucking shitty and he's never really played against a historically great team in the East ever. Let's be honest about that. Though. Maybe the Celtics back in like 08, 09? Since, since he went to the Heat, no teams in the East have been able to actually compete. Let's be real. <laughs> um well that 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 took a turn let's get back to the main point here the point is that while it might appear that the warriors are stacking the deck and it might acquire and acquiring as much talent as possible they are doing so by taking advantage of the rest of the league's idiocy you cannot complain about the warriors doing their best to get even better because like i said before it's a dog eat dog world baby That doesn't just apply to real life for the movies, it's a universal fucking standard. If you don't like it, get better. That's how competition works. The Warriors are so unique because they're composed of players who are willing to sacrifice and win a title instead of simply just playing to get paid. It's that simple. They're just a bunch of egoless superstars who want to win titles. Your greatest of all time player builds his own team to stat pad. Signs his friends to some of the worst contracts in basketball. Sets his teams up in positions to fail so he looks better. The OKC Thunder acquired a bunch of talent. That didn't work. They have Russell Westbrook, Paul George, Carmelo Anthony. That's an awesome big three, isn't it? Go back five years. You know who they had? Russell Westbrook, Kevin Durant, James Harden. You know it's a common theme with all those guys? MVP awards. They all have one. They let James Harden go because they didn't want to play like $6 million in luxury tax. They traded him in one of the worst trades, most lopsided trades, to Houston. Where he won an MVP. Brought him to the Western Conference Finals twice. Kevin Durant left Russell Westbrook, Oklahoma City Thunders, garbage. They make the playoffs, but they're garbage because Russell Westbrook hampers them. Kevin Durant's happy winning titles, finals MVPs, and Golden State. The Warriors are just taking advantage of the fact that all these dumbass GMs in front offices across the league handing out dumb contracts, propping up players who shouldn't be propped up, driving other guys away. The superstars, they want to come win. They want to come win in an environment that's fun, exciting, and a play style that gets them going and helps get their best selves out of them. They're living their best lives, as the kids say on Instagram nowadays. That's how it works. That's what this is all about. You can't complain about the lack of parity in this league. There's never been parity in the NBA. Like nine teams have won most, like 75% of the NBA titles. Be real. It's happened forever. Um. Yeah, I got off track. I think I, I, think I made my point. Basically, while people are complaining about the lack of parity and how the Warriors are making this thing unfair, you cannot blame the Warriors for getting better is the main point of this. The Warriors are doing whatever they can to improve, as the rest of the teams in the league should, but instead they're just shitting their pants. That's how it goes. That's all I want to say about that. And that all stems from that, that the Warriors signed Boogie Cousins and now will have only the second time in NBA history have done something. They will have five All-Stars from the previous season in their starting lineup. That's only been done one other time, and it was with Russell's fucking Celtics, baby. The warriors are fucking stacked. Bada bing bada boom is I think what Boogie Cousins said on his like Instagram when he announced it. Bada bing bada boom. Bada bing bada boom. He's a warrior. Um but yeah, Boogie Cousin's a warrior. When you deal with 5.3 million dollars, and I guess that's that's what that point was meant to be. That's where that all boiled down to. Um so let's move on. Let's move on to the next thing. There were some other significant signings with free agency that I wanted to talk about briefly. Um and then we'll move on to the some other stuff. These significant signings, let's start with this one. Nikola Jo Nikola Nick Nicola Jokic. Jokic? Jokic? I can't have never been able to pronounce it. And that was probably just really embarrassing that I tried like six times just now, but it is what it is. He opted out or the nuggets cancelled his contract or whatever. And then he re-signed for a new deal that is five years and $148 million, so that's good. He's He's a really nice offensive player for them. He doesn't play a whole lot of defense, but I think the Nuggets are actually sneaky good, and I think they're going to make it to the playoffs next year and, and ruffle some feathers. None of the Warriors, but I could see them going toe-to-toe with a team like the Thunder or the Rockets at this point. Chris Paul, there were questions up in the air about whether or not he'd actually stay in Houston because they might not have wanted to pay him the max, but he signed a four-year deal with a $160 million deal and then broke the news on Instagram in a picture with a caption that read, unfinished business which um is hilarious because the business that they left unfinished is not getting finished anytime soon they have no money to spend on other free agents to get better while the warriors are improving sorry to break the news to houston fans and the fans of the quote unquote point god he's not winning a championship in houston last year was as close as they're ever getting sorry Um, then DeAndre Jordan, he left the Clippers for the Mavericks, just like he should have done like four years ago, but there was a huge hostage situation. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Um, Julius Randle was not re-signed by the Los Angeles Lakers. He left to go to New Orleans on a two-year $18 million deal. I think it's a perfect signing. He fills that hole left by Boogie Cousins pretty nicely. Um, Trevor Ariza was not re-signed by the Houston Rockets. He left and signed a one-year $15 million deal with the Phoenix Suns. And this greatly hurts the Rockets because Ariza was the only player on their team who could somewhat check KD on the perimeter. He, they forced him back into being a, a really like extreme version of what he was in OKC, just ice wing the entire time because that's all he could do in OKC. Um, but he was the only player who could do that, and there's no real replacement for that on Houston who can do that to KD again. So <laughs> that's a pretty big loss. Um, Dwight Howard, he was traded from the Charlotte Hornets to the Brooklyn Nets. And then the Nets bought him out because they just don't want to be a part of him. <laughs> they don't want any part of that shit. Um, and then he signed a two-year deal with the Washington Wizards. Um, that's going to be interesting because you're going to pair him a clubhouse cancer with John Wall a clubhouse cancer. That's like pairing. Like some people are like vinegar and olive oil. They don't mix. This is like nitrogen and glycerol. This shit's going to explode in like three weeks, and I'm so excited to see all the drama that unfolds with this fucking shitty team like four weeks into the year. Um, and then on top of all that, the Wizards had signed Jeff Green. So this is going to be a really fun chemistry experience out east. Um, the Warriors then signed somebody else for their bench. They signed Jonas Jabrenko from the Utah Jazz. He's gonna, He signed with the Warriors today after he cleared waivers on Monday. Um, he's a nice stretch four that shoots about 40% from three. Um, so that's a very solid bench player for the Warriors. And I'm once again surprised that they were able to get someone like, get someone like this. Um, and then the best part is the the rest of the league is going to complain about it all year. Whenever he makes his three, how the were the Warriors able to get this guy? The league is unfair. Fuck off. You could have got him. 29 other teams could have claimed him. They didn't. They, he fell through the waivers and the Warriors got him. Then perhaps the most important of all of these other significant signings that's going to happen... Or most, I guess they're not in all, they're not in all signings yet, because this one hasn't happened yet. But Carmelo Anthony, it was reported, is going to end up parting ways with the OKC Thunder this offseason. They don't want him. He's either going to be bought out and stretched. His contract's going to be stretched over like six years. Or they're just going to trade him. But either way, they're going to get rid of him, and that's going to save them $100 million in terms of the luxury tags. But um, it was reported today that the likely destination for him is the Houston Rockets. Because not only did they lose Trevor Riesel, like I just mentioned, just today, on Monday, July 9th, Luke, Richard and Bahamute went to sign with another team. Their two best perimeter defending wings, the only two guys who could really check KD and like clamp up the Warriors, left. And they're going to replace him with Carmelo Anthony, the guy with a broken down body, who's slow and a bad outside shooter, he's an awful fit in the Houston rocket system, he's a bad three-point shooter, he shoots like 35%, all he does is pump fake and hit mid-range jumpers, that's not what you want, all Houston's based around is getting easy dunks and layups and hitting threes, this Houston thing, they're quietly having the worst offseason of any team in the league and the Lakers are up there too, <laughs> it's like a cakewalk for the Warriors because GMs are idiots, Owners are idiots. They don't know what they're doing. They're building these shitty teams trying to ki- trying to compete with the best team probably of all time, and it's not working. You're just shooting yourselves in the foot before the season even starts. Um, but, yeah, so Melo's most likely going to Houston, and that's hilarious. Um, and that's basically it for the uh, free agent signings, trades, and all that that's happened to this point to July 9th um, that I wanted to talk about at least. I'm probably forgetting one or two, but they're probably not the big a big deal from forgetting about them. Um... And the la- I wanted to talk about one other thing with the NBA was just talk about who won the awards at the end of the season. Um, yeah. So the NBA had their big awards show, I think it was two weeks ago, which is <laughs> that show is a disaster by the way. It's not entertaining at all. It's super awkward. I much prefer when the players could like make their heartfelt speeches in like a meaningful way in front of their teams instead of broadcasting on national television on a stage <laughs> wearing dress up in front of celebrities. Um, but anyways, here are the winners of the awards. James Harden won MVP. I, he should have. He won it over LeBron James and Anthony Davis. The Rookie of the Year, Ben Simmons won this. I am incredibly disappointed in this. Uh, Donovan Mitchell and Jason Tatum were the runners-up. I thought Donovan Mitchell should have won this because Jason Tatum, or not Jason Tatum, um, Ben Simmons wasn't actually a rookie. Um, he was on the roster last year or the year before last year with the Philadelphia 76ers, and he could have played, but he didn't. So he basically redshirted, and I don't think that should count as a rookie of the year. And Donovan Mitchell was incredible um, and led his team to a first-round upset over the Thunder. And he looks like a young Dwayne Wade. He's so much fun to watch. The Utah Jazz are such a sneaky, fun team in this NBA. Um, Coach of the year, Dwayne Casey won from the Toronto Raptors, and he was fired like a week after the season ended because he couldn't beat the Cleveland Cavaliers because the superstar DeMar DeRozan shit the bed again. Um, I was fine with this, but I thought Brad Stevens should have won, or I thought Quinn Snyder should have won those guys with the other two runners up. I would have gone with Quinn Snyder because what he did in Utah this year was incredible. Um, and I think he's might be the best coach in the East besides Greg Popovich or the West besides Greg Popovich. And you can give it to Brad Stevens every year, but it's redundant. He's an incredible coach. Um, the Defensive player of the year was Rudy Gobert, who only played like 50 games over the runners-up. Anthony Davis Joel Embiid. I would have committed to Embiid. He's just a beast on the inside. He was incredible on defense all year in his full, for first full season. Uh, he was just a, a complete joy to watch. Um, and then sixth man of the year, the last award I want to talk about is Lou Williams. Um, he was absolutely deserving. I think he won it for... This might have been a second time winning. Um, and the runners-up were Eric Gordon and Fred, Fred Van Vliet. All three of those guys were deserving, but Air, Lou Williams was incredible this year. I watched him drop like 45 on the warriors in a loss and then over 50 in a win off the bench. The guy was incredible all season and I'm happy for him that he got the award. Um, and then I wanted to wrap up this episode. I don't think this episode is going to be very long. Um, you already know that cause you've seen how long this is, but I wanted to quickly wrap up this episode by talking about the MLB and where it is right now. Um, just look into the standings. Um, because the MLB All Star Break is about to start, we're going to look at the All Star teams, um, look at the look at the snubs and all that. So quickly, let's just look at these standings. In the American League East, the Red Sox, who are probably the best team in baseball right now, are sixty three and twenty nine, and they lead the division by two point five games over the Yankees, who are fifty nine and thirty. Those two guys are the only teams in the AL East who are really competing. I mean, the Rays are forty six and forty four, but they are sixteen games back, um, so they're out of it um unfortunately the race have actually been pretty fun this year they've implemented something called the opener which is like the reverse of a closer and it's actually since they've done it they've had like the best era in all of baseball um and their opener most times is sergio romo so that's extra fun for me because he's former giant got the final out of the 2012 world series if you don't remember he froze Mickey cabrera with a fastball down the dick oh it was incredible giants are Whew. Um, but yeah, so the Red Sox lead that division. They're probably the best team in baseball right now. They're incredible both on the home and away. Um, they, have, they haven't lost more than 20 games either place. At home, they've lost only 12 games. Um, but yeah, the Indians are leading in the AL Central with a record of 49-40. and 40, And they're the only team that's above 500 in that entire division. And they're, they're a bad road team, too. They're below 500 on the road. But I don't see anybody in that division making a push. They're all awful teams in that division. The AL West is incredible this year, just stacked from uh, top to four, not bottom, because bottom's the Texas Rangers, and so they're awful, they're garbage, they're this horseshit. Um, the Astros lead the division with a record of 61-32. and 32. They are incredible, Just they're my favorite team in baseball to watch right now besides the Giants. Um, they're stacked from top to bottom. Their rotation is the best in baseball. They have, sub- they have a guy in their bullpen who's done like 60 innings with an ERA below one. I can't remember what his name is. Um, but yes, yeah, so they lead the division by three games because the Mariners, just like I predicted, by the way, just like I predicted, came out of nowhere, and they're 57-34 and 34, with Robinson Cano being suspended for like 60 games for PEDs. They're incredible. They're so much fun to watch. I'm happy the Mariners are good again. Um, but yeah, they're only three games back. They're 57-34. And, and then the A's, who have won like 16 out of their last 20 games all of a sudden, are 51-40. and 40. Only nine games back of the Astros for the lead, six games back of the Mariners. That's super tough. <laughs> um, they might miss the playoffs and win ninety games. That is how good this AL is this year. Because um, right now the Indians would win a division, Astros would win their division, and the Red Sox would win their division, and then the Yankees, um, the Yankees and Mariners would take the wild cards, and the a- <laughs> A's would be screwed. They're six games back of the Mariners. They might win over ninety games and not make it because five ga- five teams above them are on pace to win hundred games. Is that not fucking absurd? That is how incredible this, the top of these divisions are. Um, then in the National League, you got the Phillies and Braves tied atop the NL East, both records of 50 and 39. The Phillies are incredibly surprising this year. They're super young, and so are the Braves, but I think I like watching the Braves a little bit more than the Phillies. They've got Al- Ozzie Albies, the second, young second baseman who's incredible to watch. They've got Ronald Acuna uh, Jr., I think is his name. Um, They're super fun to watch. The Nationals are at 500 this late in like mid-July for the first time in like six years. They're 45 and 45, 5.5 games back to the Phillies and Braves. Um, And the Mets are a total dumpster fire. They have the worst offensive professional baseball. They are 36 and 52. They have somehow have more, um, less wins than the Miami Marlins, who are a total dumpster fire and are rebuilding. They traded away like six of their star players or the best players. Um, but yeah, but the Marlins are 38-55, bottom of the division, right next to the Mets. And the Mets, they're so bad, they're actually listening to offers on Jacob deGrom, Steven Metz, and Noah Syndergaard. Noah Syndergaard throws like 98. He's Thor. He's like one of the hardest throwers in all of baseball for starting pitchers. He could be a huge piece for a contending team down the stretch if they're trying to make a playoff push. I remember him pitching in 2016, a wildcard game against the Giants. He was like, he dueled against Bumgarner, seven strong eight, seven strong. I think he didn't he did not allow a single run. At one point he struck at like seven straight giants. The man is a fucking incredible pitcher. And then Jacob deGrom, they've lost like six like eleven straight decisions for him, but he's got an ERA of like one point four eight. He's been absurd all year. I wrote a piece about both of these guys um on the side sportsball.com with a Z, check it out. <laughs> Cause I'm clearly incoherent right now. Um but both of those guys are incredible to watch. And that team is somehow in the basement. And I picked them to win the fucking World Series. So I feel like a moron. Um, but yeah, that's what it, that's it, that's what that's what the sitch is in the NL East. Um, in the NL Central, the league leaders are the Milwaukee Brewers, which is super exciting, super happy the Brewers are back in there. They're 54-37. and 37. They've got a one-game lead on the Cubs, who are 51-36. and 36. Not surprising at all. They've got just loaded with young talent. And Chris Bryant's missed a bunch of time, too. Um, but I see the Cubs falling off in the second half. They don't have, they have a pitching staff, which is riddled by injuries and pretty old. Um, and the Cardinals are seven games back of the Brewers with a record of 46 and 43. And the Pirates are 42 and 48 after their red hot start. And then the Reds, who started the season like as like four and like 25 or something, have somehow battled back and went like, Thirty-four and thirty-four over their next sixty-eight games, and they're only forty and fifty-one. They've they traded for Matt Harvey as like a reclamation project project, and he's throwing as well as he has in years. Um, for those of you unfamiliar, Matt Harvey, former ace of the Mets, the Dark Knight, one of my personal favorite pitchers when he was at his hype, um, and then he put a dildo in someone's locker on national te- television, and, uh, he's kind of a sketchy guy now. Um, <laughs> but that's that's it for the Central. The Brewers are leading that division by one game over the Cubs, and then in the NL West. Easily the most competitive division in the entire National League, the Diamondbacks lead this division by half a game over the Dodgers. The Diamondbacks are 50 and 41, and the Diamondbacks are 49 and 41. Those two are basically locked in nick and nick at the top. And then just below that, three and a half games back, the Rockies and Giants are both three and a half games back, with records of 46 and 44 and 45, or 47 and 45. Whew. these giants are in fourth place and they're over 500 come on i predicted that they'd be around 500 and bub guarding back and if they did that they'd be all set but they've been just an awful team on the road like abysmal they have lost 29 games on the road they're 19 and 29 on the road and at home they're incredible at home they're 28 and 16 but I have a feeling the Giants are about to turn things around. They just traded Cody, Corey Guerin and Austin Jackson, to the Texas Rangers, clearing two roster spots for Steven Duggar, the guy who I talked about all throughout the first like 10 episodes of this podcast, and then Ray Black, a guy who can throw 104 out of the bullpen. Oh, oh, oh. That's exciting. I'm super excited about the Giants. I've been watching them like every day now because it's baseball season, baby, and I can't fucking stop. So prepare for more baseball content throughout this entire summer as the podcast goes. Um, but yeah, and then in the basement of this division, just like I predicted, the Padres are 39 and 54. They're awful. They're a dumpster fire. They're still rebuilding, and they just signed Eric for, like a seven-year, 184 million dollar deal or something. So I don't see how they're going to get better and compete at the top of the, uh, top of this division anytime soon. Um. But, yeah, that's the standings. That's all that. Um, And then let's quickly look at the All-Star Game rosters. Um, And then we'll get out of here. Um, For the National League, the starters are Wilson Contreras at catcher. He barely beat out Buster Posey. Um, Freddie Freeman's the first baseman. Javier Baez, the second baseman. Brandon Crawford starting shortstop. This is his second straight selection. First time starting. Incredible. Best shortstop in baseball. Easily hands down, and I'm not biased at all, clearly. (laughs) Um, Nolan Arenado, third baseman, he kills the Giants every time they play each other, and I hate the man because of that. Nick Markakis making his first All-Star selection in like 14 years in the bigs. That's awesome. He's starting right field. Matt Kemp made the fucking All-Star team for the Dodgers. Think about this. Matt Kemp was a stud for the Dodgers for like eight years. Then they traded him to the Padres where he was trash. Then the Padres got sick of him, and he had like arthritis in his hips. He was broken down, injured, fat. He couldn't hit anymore. They traded him to the Braves, where he was also bad. And then the Dodgers reacquired him, and he wasn't even supposed to make the team. It was just supposed to be to get them out of the luxury tax. He's hit like 20 fucking jacks with 50 RBIs in the first half. What is happening? He's found the fucking fountain of youth or something, and I'm pissed off. Why did the Dodgers keep lucking into this shit? The Giants went out and they traded for two franchise, like, centerpieces and Evan Longoria and Andrew McCutcheon, and they've both been just like, eh. They've just been like, ah. Eh. Matt Kemp comes back after, like, four years of mediocrity, and he's smacking 20 jacks, and he's starting the All-Star game. What the fuck? Um, and then Bryce Harper's making his sixth appearance in right field for the for the Washington Nationals. That was quite a transition, I'd like to say. I'm pretty impressed with that. Bryce Harper, he, I think he's been the All-Star team every year. He's been the bigs. Six straight selections. Um... But him starting was actually pretty controversial because he's only hitting like two twenty. But he is—he's the homegrown kid. He's the All-Star game in Washington D.C., and it's not an All-Star game without the top stars in the game. And he's one of the most marketable stars in the league. So it is what it is. Um, and then the reserves: Buster Posey making a six All-Star team at catcher, JT Realmuto catcher as a reserve, Joey Votto former former MVP. Six all all-star team as a first baseman. Paul Goldschmidt, sixth six all-star team as a first baseman. Scooter Jeanette, second baseman for the Reds, who came out of nowhere at the end of last season. And then he's just been a stud this season, making his first selection to second base. Shout out to him. Ozzie Albies, that stud second baseman I was talking about earlier for the Braves. He's super young, super fun, super exciting. Part of that young core, making his first all-star team in his rookie year. That's awesome. The Braves might be my favorite young team in baseball right now. Trevor Story making his first All-Star team with the Colorado Rockies, Eugenio Suarez, pretty good third baseman for the Reds making his first All-Star team, Lorenzo Cain making his second All-Star team for the um, for the Brewers, Christian Yelich just traded from the Miami Marlins to the Brewers in the offseason as part of that big rebuilding blow-up the Marlins did because they got Derek Jeter who's coincidentally the worst fucking GM in all of baseball. Um, and then Charlie Blackman making his third All-Star team in left field or center field for the Rockies. Those are the reserves, and then the pitchers for the National League. You got Max Scherzer, Jacob Degrom, John Lester, Aaron Nola. First, also selection for him from the Phillies. He's a stud. He's such a solid young starting pitcher for the Phillies. They are in such a good position to compete in the National League again, and I'm excited for that. Um, you got Patrick Corbin from Arizona, Mike Fulton. I can't pronounce his last name. I've never have been, but he's making his first start for the, um, for the Braves. Miles Mikolas for the St. Louis Cardinals, Josh Hare, a reliever for the Brewers, who, oh my God, is the most dominant relief pitcher I've probably seen since Mariano Rivera. The man is a stud. He's striking out like 18 batters per nine innings. That's two batters an inning. He's got the craziest windup. He looks like a giant version, a giant lankier version of Tim Lincecum mixed with Aroldis Chapman from the left side. And he's throwing like 98. You got to look up a highlight. Josh Hader, he's incredible. You got a mainstay in the All-Star team, Kenley Jansen, Sean Doolittle, Brad Hand from the Padres, and then Felipe Vasquez from the Pirates. And that's the entire uh, National League All-Star team right there. As of right now, Players will get replaced with injuries and stuff. I'm pretty sure Buster Posey's not going to play, and he's going to repl- get replaced with the Yadier Molina, um, just because he's got hip stuff dealing with. Um, for the American League starters, we got Wilson Ramos, a catcher for the Tampa Bay. Jose Abreu, first baseman from Chicago. Jose Altuve, reigning MVP, making his sixth all-star team from Houston. Manny Machado, who's on the trade block, making his fourth team from Baltimore. He's playing shortstop this year. He's incredible. I think I like him much better as a shortstop than a third baseman, but he's fucking incredible with the glove at either spot Jose Ramirez he's hit like 20 jacks this year for Cleveland he's playing third Mookie Betts Mike Trout and Aaron Judge is that starting outfield oh my god that's a fucking gnarly outfield Mookie Betts is like 22 jacks Mike Trout is having the best statistical season of his career and then you have the judge Aaron Judge the court is in fucking session bro he's hit like 25 jacks already in his second season I can't get over how good he is yeah, i feel like every time he bats he's gonna hit it yeah he's gonna go yeah yeah um and then at dh you got jd martinez who's probably the best signing of the offseason i didn't think he'd be as good as Giancarlo stanton but he's leading them on being homers he's hit like 57 jacks jd apparently stands for just dingers he since, since the all-star break last year he said like 54 jacks it's absurd maybe even more I, I don't have the stats on hand because i'm tired it's, it's like 11 o'clock um and then the reserves yes salvador perez making the all-star team from the royals i don't think he should have made it but he he is the lone representative from kansas city so i'm okay with it mitch moreland making a start or not making a start but from first base for the red sox glibri torres from the yankees at second base francisco lindor stud shortstop for cleveland alex bregman who's like 5'8 playing third base for the fucking astros he's hit like 18 jacks out of nowhere he's so good um He's probably been their M V P to this point, over Jose Altuve. Um, you got Michael Brantley in left field for the Indians, George Springer in right field from the Astros. He's awesome. Um, after he after that MVP performance in the World Series since last year, he's incredible to watch. He's one of my favorite players. Mitch Hanniger from Seattle playing right field. Shin Su Chu DHing and Nelson Cruz also DHing. Um, and the pitchers, you got Justin Verlander making his first team since like twenty fifteen. Corey Kluber, I think he what he won the Cy Young Award last year, right? I think he did. The Klubat, Chris Sale making a seventh team. He's been absurd this year. Luis Severino making a second straight team. Garrett Cole, who's been great for the Astros. Jose per- Jose Barrios, my sleeper Cy Young pick, made the all-star team. I'm not sure he should sure have. Um, J.A. Happ made the team for the Toronto. Trevor Bauer made it for the Indians. Um, Edwin Diaz, a stud closer for the uh, Mariners, made it. Joe Jimenez made it for the Detroit Tigers. Craig Kimbrell, stud closer from the uh, Red Sox made it. Aroldis Chapman, flamethrower from the um, Yankees made it. And then Blake Trinen, I can't pronounce his last name, um, from the A's. He's been an incredible closer, came out of nowhere. He's just been a stud at the back of the end of, the, of that bullpen for them. Um, I can't really think of any major snubs from the All-Star teams, except for one. Um, and that one hit, that guy's name is Blake Snell. He's going to make the team anyways as an injury replacement as a reserve, but he should have been the, probably the starting pitcher for the American league. The guy that's leading the league for the Rays in ERA with like a 2.09 ERA. He's like second in strikeouts for starters. Um, I think he's second in wins. He's been dominant. He's been absolutely incredible for the last like two months. And I'm surprised, just shocked. He didn't make the all-star team. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't have anything else to say about about baseball right now. Um, the Giants just walked off and beat the Chicago Cubs in extra innings out a Pablo Sandoval single. He's been on fire. He hit a uh, three-run jack and a two-run single, single yesterday for a five-RBI game. It was incredible. He, I have a soft spot in my heart for that guy. Even though he left us for the Red Sox, I'm so happy he's back. Um, but yeah. Anyways, I think, I think we're going to call it. We're going to wrap up the episode there. I rambled a lot about baseball, and I think I had some pretty solid NBA content for you guys in that one. But this was episode 20. That's is like 20. I, that's like a nice, nice test trial. We're going to get back to uploading weekly, probably try to go every Monday, um, Monday or Sunday for the rest of the summer, and then we'll change it once we get back to school again, but that's like in 10 weeks. Uh, but, yeah, this has been episode 20 of the sportsball.com podcast. I'm your host, Jackson Williams. If you want to hear more from me in terms of this podcast, go on iTunes, subscribe, leave me a nice review, or go on sportsball.com, that's S-P-O-R-T-Z-B-A-L-L.com, and click the podcast tab, and you can listen to it there too. If you want to hear, read more from me in terms of writing, I write probably like three articles a week on my website, same sportsball.com with a Z. But yeah, that's it for me. I hope you enjoyed. I'll see you next week. Peace out.